Uh, it's the Second World War. Winston Churchill has become Prime Minister. Uh, all of Western Europe has been devastated and defeated by the advancing German army. And he gets up and he says, we have a fight on our hands. We have a serious struggle against a committed enemy who looks like he has the victory. But we shall fight. We will stand firm and we will fight with everything we have because we want victory. Now, in many ways, the passage this morning that Charles read for us is very similar to that speech that Prime Minister Churchill made. Our passage, too, is a call to fight. It's a call to stand firm in the midst of a serious struggle. We have a committed enemy who wants to bring down the kingdom of God. But the major difference between Churchill's speech and what the Apostle Paul has said is that our passage crackles with confidence. When Churchill first delivered that speech, it was a desperate and scary future. It looked dark. Who knew who, how it was going to turn out? But our passage comes at the end of Ephesians. We've seen that the victory is not in doubt. No desperation, no fear, no terror. None of that is in Paul's call to stand firm in the gospel. And as we'll see from the whole letter, the victory has been won. That's why we can stand firm. Friends, have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, there's an outline on the inside of that sheet that you were given on the way in. Uh, we're at point two. We are in a spiritual battle. Now, look over at your Bibles. Look at chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the might, strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, as Charles was reading, did you notice how many times the words stand or stand firm occurred? Uh, it's four times just in those verses from 10 to 14. Paul is saying stand firm. But that's a little bit different from what we've been hearing him say for the last five weeks, isn't it? Uh, in chapters 4 and 5, Paul has been very clear. He's been teaching about our walk in Christ. In chapter 4, we're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have. And we're not to walk as the unbelieving world walks. And in chapter 5, we're to walk in love and in light and in wisdom. But here, Paul deliberately changes his imagery and he tells us to stand. Because he's telling us that we're to persevere as followers of Christ, not in what we do, but in what Christ has already done for us. And so Paul changes the imagery from walking to standing firm. We're meant to take our stand. We're not to move away from Christ. We're simply to stand firm in what he has done for us. And so we're told to take our stand because there is something worth fighting for. 
And so what is it that you and I are meant to take our stand for? It is for the person sitting next to you. Together, we're to take our stand in Christ, making sure that none of us move on or move away from our faith in Jesus Christ. And so we're to stand firm because we're in the midst of a great struggle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And this point is really clear if you look again at verse 11, when Paul continues that language of putting on and putting off. Verse 11, Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Paul is saying that the devil is real and that he has real schemes against us. And so we need to take our stand, continuing to trust in Christ so that the devil's schemes won't overwhelm us or tempt us away. Now we're going to look more closely at how we stand firm. But first of all, we need to know what the devil's schemes are because when we know our enemy better, then we're able to stand our ground. And so what are the devil's schemes? Now the Bible doesn't talk a lot about the devil uh, simply because in God's universe, the devil is a small-time player when you compare him to the Lord Jesus Christ. If the devil and Jesus were on the same radar screen, uh, then the devil would be a tiny, minuscule blip when you compare him to the way Jesus fills the screen. Uh, it's like comparing Mount Everest to an ant, and that's been complimentary and flattering even to the devil. But look, he's out there, he's real. The devil does get spoken about in the Bible. And Paul mentions his plans and schemes against us. And so can we have any idea what they are? The simple answer is yes, we can. Because Paul has already told us what they are in this letter to the Ephesians. Back in chapter 3, uh, what we're told is that you and I are part of a church family. We're united in Christ. And so we display the wisdom of Christ to whom? to the devil and to the spiritual powers and authorities in the heavenly realms. It's as we who trust in Christ alone for salvation, reconciled to God and to one another, that God displays his mighty power and his amazing grace. It's as people brought together through the death and resurrection of Jesus that we display the very character of God people made holy out of God's gracious love. That is the complete opposite of what the devil wants. And so his aim, his single-minded aim, is to make sure that people do not stand firm in Christ because he wants the glory, not Christ. And if God brings saved people into his heavenly kingdom, then that displays that God is the sovereign ruler of this world and the devil well, he's just going down to the natural consequences of his rejection of God. And so, the devil wants to tear churches apart. When Paul's talking about unity, he's telling us what one of the great gifts of grace of God is, but he's also raising to our attention 
One of those things that the devil will also scheme and work against. So in chapter 4, we're told to keep our unity in Christ because it's very precious. Uh, we're to keep our unity by building each other up as we speak the truth about Jesus to each other. Uh, which is why Paul says in chapter 4, verse 26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Sinning against each other. That is a sure way that the devil can get a foothold into your church and into our church and start to divide us and tear us apart. Sin is serious, brothers and sisters. And we might think that when I sin, it might have consequences for me, but it doesn't harm other people. Uh, but if you've ever been to one of those really cool playgrounds that Strathfield Council is starting to rebuild, uh, there's one down by the Cooks River where we live, and in this playground is a rope pyramid. Uh, you can climb up it and reach the top and make yourself feel fantastic. I'm young again, I can get to the top uh, faster than my children. That's, I don't know, that's, that's my wife, that's not me thinking like that. Anyway, we had an object lesson a couple of weeks ago. I wanted to show Benjamin how things that I do uh, impact other people. So I got him to stand on the other side of the rope pyramid and I stood on my side and I jumped and Benjamin had the wave come round and he goes boom and bounces off. Uh, when we sin, it doesn't just affect me, it has consequences on the people around us. And when we sin against each other, the devil uses that as a way to get his toe in the door, to begin to divide the church. Because we've seen it over and over again. We've been tempted, we've even sinned in this way. I sin against you. Instead of you telling me, I'm not saying it's all your responsibility to come to me, but we're brothers and sisters in Christ and Jesus encourages us. When we've been sinned against, go to your brother and speak to them so you might be reconciled. But what do I do when I'm sinned against? I don't go to Will and say, Look, when this happened, I felt this way. My instinct's not for reconciliation. My instinct is to seek out Peter and say, do you know what Will did to me? And then I try to get you on side in my Will's a bad man mindset. We do it subtly. We do it in a conversation. But we begin to divide. Paul is warning us not to break our unity. And it comes through normal routine things like sin and gossip and disagreements and personal preferences on how things should be done and anger that we don't try to resolve but instead uh, let fester and become bitter. Forget the movies. When the devil works, there's no spinning heads. There's no people being thrown across the room. The devil uses ordinary means like the way we talk. The attitude I have when something happens that I don't like. He wants to undermine our unity in Christ, drawing attention away from Jesus, the sovereign saviour. He wants to lure us away from standing firm in Christ because it's the church family united in Christ that displays the victory of God. It's the church family united in Jesus that enables us to persevere in living for him. And so, in Ephesians, the devil's schemes is to divide a church family. 
in Christ, God has united us. But the devil, he doesn't want the glory to go to God. And so he tries to divide churches through ordinary means, through little things that begin small and begin to fester. But in Christ, we're called to seek forgiveness and offer forgiveness quickly because we've been reconciled to God. Now, Paul's been saying we live in an evil day. Uh, He's been making the point today, but he's dropped hints along the way that we have a powerful enemy. But we can't help but notice the confidence that Paul has in today's passage and the whole letter. Paul assumes that we can, in fact, take our stand against the devil's schemes. He's confident in success. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. In the evil day, we're meant to take our stand. And what is the evil day that Paul is talking about? The evil day is today, and it's tomorrow, and the day after that. Back in chapter 5, verse 16, Paul has already said that the days we live in are evil. It's right now that Satan is doing all that he can to undermine the saving work of Christ. Uh, We are in the evil day right now. And so we need to stand firm in Christ today and tomorrow and the day after. Not enticed or seduced away from faith in Christ, but standing firm, trusting that gospel word that saved us when we first heard about the wonderful forgiveness that God offers us in Christ. And so what are we? We face a serious enemy who is committed, but we do not have to fear. We can be confident that we can stand our ground. Why? Because verse 10, we're strong in the Lord. He is powerful and mighty. Our confidence against the devil and his schemes always rests in our confidence that Christ has already defeated evil at the cross. You see, friends, it's always a mistake to underestimate the power and trickery of the devil. The Apostle Paul never minimizes the devil's power. In verse 12, he tells us that we're up against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. They're weighty enemies. And it's a mistake to underestimate the devil and his schemes. But you know, it is even more tragic and even a far more serious error to underestimate the power and the authority of the risen Lord Jesus. For as powerful as the devil is, his power is nothing compared to the one who conquered the grave. Whatever authority the devil has, his authority is nothing compared to the authority of Jesus Christ. Turn back a couple of pages in your Bible to chapter 1 and find verse 19 about halfway through. Paul's talking about God's power and he says, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Do you see what Paul's saying? 
Yes, as Christians, we have a serious and committed enemy, but we don't have any need to fear because our master, who is seated at God's right hand in the heavenly realms, he is Lord. He is far above every other power and every other authority. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you look at chapter 1, verse 22, and God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. You see that last little phrase there? Christ's authority. As, sorry, that little last phrase there in comparison to the devil's authority. Christ's is massive. And who is it used for? It is used for us. Chapter 2, verse 6 that we, says that when we have been raised with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places, Christ's authority, Christ's mighty power is used for who? For his people. And so when we come back to our passage in chapter 6, the Apostle says that we're to be standing firm in the Lord. We're to be strengthened in him against the devil's schemes because our Lord reigns. And so together and for each other, we can take our stand with the armour of God. Back to chapter 6, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now that's an impressive armour, isn't it? One that's going to keep us perfectly safe from all the devil's schemes. And we really shouldn't be that surprised at how effective it is because Paul says it is the armour of God. Tiffany read to us from um, Isaiah chapter 11, And then again, later in Isaiah, in chapter 59, verse 17, we're just told how all this armour that's described is actually God's armour. Of course we can stand firm and we have God's word and God's spirit and God's righteousness. The thing about the armour is that it is God's armour that he gives us to wear. The reason why we can stand firm is because of the one whose armour we are wearing. Now, each part of that armour is spoken about earlier in the letter. Uh, Each time Paul has mentioned this, it is always something that God has done for us or given to us. So in chapter 1, it's the word of truth that came to us from God. And that's how we're included in Christ. How does someone who rejects God come into relationship with him? It's through hearing God's word, the word of truth that includes us in Christ as we trust those promises. And the breastplate of righteousness in chapter 4, we read that God created us to be like him in righteousness. Our feet are fitted fitted with the gospel of peace and in chapter 2 it's Christ who is our peace. 
not only between us and God, but also between each other. At the shield of faith in chapter 1 and 2, we see that it's God who gives us our faith as a gift. The helmet of salvation in chapter 1 and chapter 3, we read that it is God himself who saves us from his wrath. The sword of the Spirit, that's the word of God in chapter 2 and 3, and we read that God has made his home in us as we trust the word that Christ has spoken. Everything about this armour comes back to the fact that God has provided it. And so putting on the armour of God is not something that we have to do, it's something that God has already done for us. We simply need to make use of it. And so putting on the full armour of God is the same as standing our ground in Christ, as to remain in his truth, is to remain trusting in his salvation And we do it together because we've been united in Christ. We do it for each other so that no one turns away from Christ because we're always helping each other keep going in our faith. Every time Paul says we're to put on a piece of armour, he talks about us as a church family, as a body, as a whole unit. When Paul uses the word you... Uh, when he talks about you stand firm in Christ. He's talking in the plural. Uh, I don't know if you ever use the word use, but that's kind of the plural of you, isn't it? Use stand firm in Christ. Use put on the armour of God. Currently my grandmother is rolling in her grave for the use of that word. Uh, It's very similar to what we've been looking at over the last five weeks. As a church family... We are to put on godliness, a new way of walking. And now he says, stand firm in your faith in Christ with the armour of God. But what's new in this section of Ephesians is that Paul wants us to understand that our remaining in Christ together is a spiritual event. It's a united context that we live in. We build each other up. We see to it that none of us are ensnared by sin and evil. We do these things not in peaceful times, but in wartime. Our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. It is against spiritual forces of sin and evil. And so Satan is doing all that he can to divide us out of Christ. He doesn't want us to remain loving and serving our God and each other. What he wants is us to be gossiping and slandering backbiting and whispering did you see what so and so did oh i don't like it when we do this speaking words that build up and paul wants us to keep going with what he has been talking about over the last six weeks chapters four and five and six all those practical things that we can be doing to help keep each other following christ Speak the truth in love. That's how you stand your ground in Christ. Put off the old self. Put off your old sinful ways and desires and instead put on godliness, imitating your Father in heaven. That is how you stand firm in Christ. Avoid sexual immorality. That is how you stand firm in Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. 
That is how you stand firm in Christ. Husbands, lay down your life for your wife. That is how you stand firm in Christ. Children, obey your parents. That is how you stand firm in Christ. Parents, train and instruct your children to keep following Christ. That is how you stand firm in Christ. Every single one of those practical things that Paul has been outlining, that he has taught us and shown us that it's just a natural part of living out the calling you have received, that is how you stand firm in Christ. And so, friends, I have to ask you, as we've gone through these chapters in Ephesians, as you've heard Huey teach them over the last 11 weeks, how have you gone at putting God's word into action? Because that'll tell you how well you're going at standing firm in Christ. Has God's word come to you with conviction? Have you heard the call to obedience because we've been united to Christ? Or have you been giving the devil a little gap in the door so that he can get in and work his schemes? So how have you gone at letting no gossip pass your lips? How have you gone at speaking the truth in love? How have you gone at not letting your anger turn you to sin, but instead walking in truth and love? What impact have these words had on your relationship with your spouse or your family, with your brothers and sisters here at church? How have you gone at putting God's word into action? You want to stand firm? Put into action what Christ has been calling you to do through the book of Ephesians. Because I know that in your heart, if you trust Christ, you don't want to let the devil have his way. We want to glorify Christ. We want him to be the one as he will surely be at the end of time, who is seen to be the sovereign, loving Lord. Stand firm, because Christ is our Saviour. And since it is Christ who has done everything for us, uh, then it's not surprising that Paul finishes his letter by saying that we should pray. Without God we have nothing. In Christ we have everything. So pray. Look at verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for the saints. It's a very strong call to prayer, isn't it? At all times, in every occasion, be alert. In other words, keep a lookout for what threatens you. Keep a lookout for the devil's schemes and how he wants to divide our church. And be alert and pray, because we live in evil days. But we're not just to pray for ourselves, Paul says. We're to pray for those who do not yet know the Lord Jesus, that they would come under his salvation. Verse 19. Pray also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, 
that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And Paul asked for prayer that he'd be fearless in speaking about Jesus. And we too should want people to be free from the devil's schemes and for people from all around the world to be washed clean from the stain of sin through Christ's mighty work on the cross. This is what we're to pray for ourselves. This is what we're to pray for those who do not yet know Christ. And we're to pray for these things because it's God alone who can do them. His is the only armour that can protect people from the devil. He's the only one who can save people from sin. There's only one general who can protect his people in the battle and it's because he has already won through Christ Jesus. And so Paul says, stand firm in the power and goodness of God. Take your stand in faith in Christ and pray because he is the only one who can bring us home to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that his word uh, can be found in the pages of Scripture. Thank you that it has come to us with deep conviction, turning our hard hearts to you in repentance and faith. Father, we ask that you would deepen our appreciation for what you have done for us in Christ as we chew over and digest what the book of Ephesians says. Father, we ask that you would give us a deep love for you and for each other. Please help us to not give the devil a foothold, but instead to keep trusting in the salvation that we have received. Please help us to take our stand in Christ. Father, we ask that we might resist the evil one's temptations so that we and our brothers and sisters might stand around your glorious throne on that last day and praise you for the salvation that we have. Please help us to stand firm in Christ, in trust and obedience. Amen.